0: All right, welcome to the official OCPHA podcast journey series where we interview our pharmacy professionals about their journey into their specialized fields. So today we actually have a special guest, uh, Dr. Jeff Goad, and we'll be talking about his journey into his current field. So thank you again for being on the show, Jeff. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Great, great. So can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself to j- just to get started? Sure, absolutely.
1: So I, I've been in um, academia for a little over 20 years. I started... Uh, right after my residency in uh, 1995 is when I first started in academia. Wow. And I've been at uh, three universities. So I started at uh, University of the Pacific, where I was a regional coordinator out of the VA Long Beach. So I was in the South Bay. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to University of Southern California, School of Pharmacy. And I was there for about 16 years. And the, more recently, within the last four and a half years or so, I've been at Chapman University. Mm-hmm. And so over that time period... Um, I've gone from assistant to associate to full professor and now department chair, so taking more of a leadership role.
0: Great, great. So right now, I know you're in the, the leadership role, but um, what was your kind of area of practice while you were going through your career?
1: Yeah, I think pharmacy is interesting in respect to how we move between different fields or expertise. It's very unlike in medicine. So for example, a dermatologist doesn't one day decide they want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, and they just do that. But in pharmacy, we have a very unique transferable skill set. Mm-hmm. So I started my career in pediatrics. Oh,
0: okay. So I
1: did my residency at Children's Los Angeles, and I thought I was going to be all pediatrics, and that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life in acute care. I rarely worked outpatient, mm-hmm. um, worked a little bit when I was at Kaiser as an intern, but not really traditional community pharmacy. It was very acute mm-hmm. care-based. And uh, so I did my residency at Children's, and uh, the first position I got was with the, and I, I knew I wanted to go to academia, so first position I got was with the University of Pacific, mm-hmm. and it was based at the VA Long Beach, and I thought I would still be teaching pediatrics at Children's Hospital, but it turned out the need for my program was with internal medicine, uh, and primary. at that time, it was called your medicine rotation. So uh, my priority was I had to teach the students I was assigned that came down to me for their clerkships, now called APB and clerkships at the time. And so I ended up teaching uh, acute care at the VA Long Beach. So I kind of went from pediatrics to geriatrics, right, uh-huh. <laughs> virtually overnight. Yeah. So I started teaching that. I did that for about three years. And in 1998, uh, I thought I was getting back into pediatrics again. So I was applying for a position at USC. It was a, called a faculty in residence mm-hmm. with uh, CEDARs. And uh, I was competing with another person at the time there, but there were two different areas. One was going to be pediatrics at Cedars, or the other was going to be ambulatory care at Cedars. And at the very end of the day, they decided to go with ambulatory care, not pediatrics. Oh, okay. So I figured I was out that position. But at the time, the department chair there was Dan Robinson, who's now the dean oh. at Western <laughs> University. Okay. Pharmacy is a very small world. <laughs> yeah. Talked to me about uh, another position at USC, and it was in the community pharmacy area. Mm -hmm. And he had a vision for taking community pharmacy, combining it with some of the acute care skills and the the excitement that was going on in acute care at the time, and try to, you know, infuse that into community pharmacy. Sounded like a great challenge. Mm -hmm. And I I get to work with uh, Kathy Johnson, Mm -hmm. who was a great uh, professor when I was there, and Mm -hmm. was a great mentor for me. So so I made another change. So I jumped mm-hmm. from again pediatrics to geriatrics to community pharmacy. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so for the next 16 years, I worked with tremendous uh, people in the area of community pharmacy and ambulatory care. Built a residency program, mm-hmm. and in community pharmacy, which there weren't very many mm-hmm. nationwide, did that for 16 years. Um, taught in the immunization course. So in California, 1995. Pharmacy, uh, legislatively got the right to vaccinate, but it took some time before it started to implement. So I launched one of the first training programs outside of the California Pharmacy Association. It was a mm-hmm. school-based program and I began training people. It was about 1999 when I started doing this. So I started training chain pharmacy and independence and immunization. And I thought, well, students should get this too. So we started out as an elective and it ended up as a mandatory course. And of course, yeah. Now, ACPE requires it to be in in all the schools of pharmacy. So it was a, a lucky coincidence to get into that area. Along the way, in about 2000, we were doing immunization programs, and we did another project with our student health center. So at the University of Southern California at USC, I was focused in the community pharmacy area, and we were looking for new services. What are things that pharmacists should be doing that we're not doing now? And a lot of it's need-based. So you can come up with a lot of ideas what you think patients want or you think providers want, but oftentimes it comes from need. So in this case, the physicians at the student health center said, we have a horrible time with getting our students to finish their INH. for At the time, it was called chemoprophylaxis Mm -hmm. for uh, tuberculosis, but later got changed to latent tuberculosis infection. So basically giving INH for somebody who has a positive skin test, but a negative chest x-ray. Their completion rate, and at the time it was only six months that you had to do a INH, was about five percent.
0: Oh wow. So
1: only five percent of the students who got started on their INH actually even finished it. So they said, what can you do with this? Okay, we'll take it into the pharmacy and we'll monitor the program, we'll educate the students, and we'll make sure they finished. We got it up to about 65%, somewhere around there. We published on that. And the Student Health Center came back and said, you did such a great job with that. What can you do with travel medicine? Oh, okay. Our providers hate it because uh-huh. right? yeah. it's unlike any other discipline uh, because it can change daily. Right. Mm-hmm. Diabetes management does not change daily. But travel medicine can because of outbreaks and recommendations and resistance patterns and safety and security. And so so I took that challenge on and developed a travel medicine program, which has now evolved uh, since about 2000 when we started, has been my main practice since then. So I opened up a clinic out of the student health center. We opened another one out of the health science campus, out of family medicine, out of the pharmacy there at USC. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Chapman about four years ago, I went to our student health service and found out they also didn't have travel medicine and really didn't know what they were doing. They referred people out mostly. Oh, okay. So so I established a practice there. And along the way, uh, APHA came to me and said, we're really interested in creating a national program. Can you help us? So I helped write and create the national APHA travel medicine program. Now, last time I checked, we've trained over 10,000 people. Sure. Oh, wow. So, That's a lot. Yeah, and it's really starting to spread across the country. California, we enjoy one of the most liberal practice acts yes. when it comes to travel medicine. We have full prescriptive authority. You can mm-hmm. do lab tests. You can give all the immunizations. So, but in other parts of the country, they can do pieces of it, which if you can put all the pieces together, you can still have a travel medicine service. Just in California, you can do it all from one place but so we do have some advantages so that's my area my area is in travel medicine immunizations and uh I've, I've been doing that for quite a long time And i think we still have further to go and it's an exciting area for pharmacists to get into because there's a huge need
0: and it takes advantage of all the skills they already have I, i'm probably just going to put on this podcast that you do everything that's <laughs> <So, laughs> not everything yeah <laughs> But pretty much a lot of things. And I I like that you mentioned the immunization program at USC. So yeah, like when we started, it kind of was a shock to me that the immunization program started like right when we got into school, like within the (laughs) the first two weeks or so. But it was a very important skill to have. And I really appreciate that that program was there for us students.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for students. (laughs) When I went to school, yeah, you always hear this from your preceptors and older pharmacists. When I went to school. When I went to school, you didn't know you were in pharmacy school till at least the second year, because oh. the first year was just all chemistry, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. There was almost no clinical correlates or anything that grounded you in what you were there for. Mm-hmm. So that's what I felt passionate about. When I started at USC, it started in the third year. We moved it down to the second year. And then to get it down to the first year, the faculty were a little hesitant. Can you train students to give a, an injection to somebody in the first year? And I said, I can do it in the first semester. And we it's been that way for over a decade easily that it's been done in the first semester. So it is a skill that uh, people can learn very quickly. And it's a, hu- a huge value yeah. to community pharmacies, to the, the population in general. So it's been a really good match because we need more people vaccinating. And student pharmacists are the, the perfect group to go to. There's lots of them. And they can be deployed at many different uh, centers.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I think it's also really good that it's uh, one of the first things that they do. Because like, when they start school, they're like, okay, I'm going to be a pharmacist now. This is kind of like being thrown to know that you are going to do this and in your profession. So it's, it's really good to have that in the very beginning of things.
1: Yeah, it is eye-opening for them yeah. when they go out. And yeah. the first time they have to stick a one-inch needle in someone's <laughs> arm and they bleed on them or they pass out and they realize... Yeah okay, this is not the classroom anymore. Yeah, yeah, pretty
0: much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess just to back up a little bit about, I know that you've been a pharmacist for many years, but what kind of inspired you to become a pharmacist or you know go into that path? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's not as, uh, as, uh, as good as I would like it to be.
1: I think I chose pharmacy, but I had friends who were going into pharmacy. I was going to go pre-med. That was my idea oh, okay. to go first off. <laughs> And uh, I had some friends who were going, I'd never heard of pharmacy before. No one in my family was a pharmacist. I didn't know any pharmacists. And uh, I had a friend who was ended up one year above me in pharmacy school who told me about pharmacy. So I said, well, I better investigate this a little bit more. So I went to UCI and I volunteered in the NICU. And I got to work with this lady. Her name is Karen Zing. She passed away a number of years ago, but she was an amazing pharmacist. She was a, a neonatal. Uh, intensive care pharmacist and at the time so this is 1988 somewhere around there 80, somewhere around there um, pharmacist and the clinical pharmacist was just really coming into being in southern California and a lot of this happened in northern California but in southern California the 80s was a really interesting renaissance for the way we practice and bringing in clinical pharmacy so I got to walk around with her we did a a project on, at the time, this was new, it was called Imla, (laughs) it was a new product at the time, Uh that uh, I got to work on a research project where we looked at uh, heel sticks for neonates and whether you put Imla on or you didn't do anything, what was the difference in their pain scales, and so I got to work on her, work on a project with her on that, and I got to follow her around on rounds, and to watch the medical residents just... Whatever she said they did, I said, this is pharmacy. That's an important position. They rely on her. Now, what I, re- what I quickly realized after getting into pharmacy and the school of pharmacy is that that's not everyone. We still have a long way to go in pharmacy to get to where everyone's like a Karen Zink. They're so well established in their practice that medicine, pharmacy, everyone relies on them for their expertise. So we're getting, we're getting a lot closer, certainly, than we were in the 80s. But, uh, but that was my stimulus to get into pharmacy.
0: Okay. Wow. So in your time working in travel medicine and even right now, like as a department chair, right? uh, What kind of, what was like some of the most rewarding experiences that you've had?
1: I think for me,
0: it's working with the trainees.
1: So rather it's working with a resident who I get to push beyond their comfort zone. And I would say, I mean, I love working with students, but um, I have a, a special place in my heart for working with residents. 'Cause I get I get them for a full year. Whereas students you may only get them for a class or for a six week rotation. But when you have someone that you work with, you know, day in, day out for the entire year, you learn a lot about their grit, their integrity, and you you're able to put them in situations that are very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I've had over I think over thirty-five residents that have uh, trained since I was at USC. Um, some of them are on faculty with me now here mm-hmm. at Chapman, some are still on faculty and ended up running the program or, and are still running the program at USC. So it's very gratifying for me to work with the, in the residency area, to see them grow from someone who's just come out of school into such a, you know, a highly skilled clinician with a, really a broader vision. So mm-hmm. not just the skill base they come out with, but with the mindset to be able to create new programs
0: and to, to do just really amazing things. Okay. So so I guess going into that, I know that you're going to be presenting at Western Pharmacy Exchange, um, and it's uh, it seems like it's a student-focused uh, presentation. Can you go into a little bit more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a few of my colleagues uh, will be working on a project whereby students are going to, it's kind of a combination escape room oh. mixed <laughs> with um, a little bit on what's called the pharmacist patient care process or the mm-hmm. PPCP. Yeah. And the the process, the way it's set up, is there's a whole system for from collecting and assessing and planning and follow up for patients, with the idea being that you can apply it across the spectrum of different anything from diabetes to transitions of care, right? So, for example, uh, one of my faculty, uh, Larissa Betheshu, actually worked with a group from APHA, and they just recently published the pharmacist patient care process for transitions of care. All right. oh, okay. So in this case, we're going to take that standard model of the pharmacist patient care process and apply it to smaller case vignettes. But to make it interesting for the students, it's in a series of, it's like an escape room. They have to solve puzzles, yeah. right, to get to the next level. Yeah. But the puzzles are all built on. For example, one of the cases is immunizations. And they'll be working through uh, putting the pharmacist patient care process to work on an immunization case which uh, once you figure out what how it goes in order, that unlocks another key, then unlocks another key to see. So the idea is to make it fun and interesting for students to come to. They don't get CE, obviously, when they come to yeah, a farm yeah. association. So we always try to mix with it the education
0: side, but also something fun for them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having fun and learning. Yeah, I mean that's really good because that that will drive that learning process to make it fun, and then they're still learning. And they're it's also really cool if they they do it and they're like not realizing that they're learning, right? So <laughs> that, yeah. that's the best way when they don't yeah. know that it's actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any advice for anyone that may want to get into travel medicine or get into academia or anything that you've been doing?
1: Yeah, I, I think my, my career is. And my career trajectory is always different than anyone else's. But the one piece of advice I usually give new pharmacists coming out, new academicians coming up, is to be opportunistic. You know, mm-hmm. there's the saying that where uh, planning and opportunity meet our chance. Right. So you do have to plan, but you also have to be ready for the opportunity. So for me, if I wasn't ready to accept community pharmacy after spending everything I've been doing in hospitals to then accept that challenge from Dean Robinson to move into community pharmacy, a whole new area. I had planned all the way along the way for how I could take on new roles. I'd already done that when I transitioned from pediatrics to the VA Long Beach, but this opportunity really pushed my boundaries, which I think is important for everybody. No matter what stage of your career is to continue to push yourself. If you get complacent, You're never going to move forward. But another piece of advice I give along that way is it has to be fun, too. There are too many opportunities, and good people can go anywhere. So making sure that you're learning every day and you're having fun. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. So you can make the environment you work in fun and challenging yourself, which is, again, my same philosophy for students. You know, Education can be fun as long as it's done right and they get out of it what you want them to get out of it. So I think, whether it be travel medicine or immunization, uh, people just need to find the path that's most exciting for them. And if you're in community pharmacy, you have lots of opportunities for services and programs that you can build off of your base. Your base is the community pharmacy and the medication safety part, as well as being the medication expert. Everything on top of that uses your skills and the environment that you're in. And travel medicine I think is just a natural fit. We like to say it's one-stop shopping, right? So if you have a community pharmacy in California, you can do all the major things. So you can provide the vaccines, right? We're independent providers now for vaccination. You can do that. You can furnish the medications. We can't say prescribed, but we can say we can furnish all prescription medications for travel medicine. You can stock insect nets and permethrin and insect repellents. You can have all these on your shelves. And of course, you can do the one thing that everyone can do in all 50 states, which is counsel patients. So in a community pharmacy, you can have the entire spectrum of travel medicine, which is hard to say for other services that either rely on a physician to approve something you're doing or they have to approve the process. For travel medicine, it is truly independent. Um, You notify people what you did, but you don't ask them to do it. Hmm.
0: Wow. Okay. So that was really good advice. So thank you for that. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you, maybe for questions or anything like that, is there a best way that they can contact you? Yeah, for me, um,
1: I, in a lot of different places, a lot of different types. So email is probably the best uh, communication tool for me.
0: Okay. Yeah. And is that your, your Chapman email? Or? Yep. So it's just okay. go, goad at chapman.edu. Okay, awesome. And I'll be putting that in the show notes. And uh, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out here. I know it's a really busy day for you. So thank you again so much for taking some time uh, to be on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and being able to answer the questions and reach out to young pharmacists as
0: well as experienced pharmacists out in Orange County. So thank you. Of course. And uh, all right. If you guys like this episode, please rate us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can find out more about our organization by visiting ocpha.org. And you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. But until next time, OCPHA is signing off reminding you to get determined, get inspired.